I'm a, I'm a Cuban American. You know, both my parents are, are Cuban, Cuban descent. I was born in Los Angeles, raised in Miami, Florida. Uh, most people know me as one half of the Drink Champs podcast, but I've been making my chops as a, as a hip hop DJ and entrepreneur as well uh, since 93, right out of high school. When I, that's when I graduated with my crew, Crazy Hood Productions. And in a nutshell, that's that's who I am. Yeah, it's pretty big because you've worked with a lot of, uh, well, pretty much the biggest names sort of in the music industry sort of from day one, really. I mean, when, you know, Wu-Tang Clan, KRS-One, all of that. What was that like, you know, like obviously being young and, and sort of jumping in with a lot of those people? It was dope because, you know, I came into this not, you know, as a fan. I'm, you know, strictly <laughs> as a fan of the culture, living the culture uh, from when I was really young. I always loved music, but then, you know, I gravitated at some point towards hip hop. And before I even knew I was already living the culture, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm you know, I, I didn't, I didn't really, I realized it as I was like, oh man, like I love this music. But then I saw that it was a whole culture behind it. Mm. And in that time frame, you know, this is the 80s, late 80s, early 90s. You know, you're just like, oh, you know, I break dance, I do graffiti, I do all, I'm living this culture right now, you know, so. So my my whole thing was I just wanted to to be a fan of it and just enjoy it as a as a as a purist as a fan and and then when I started to get towards my later years in high school with my crew I was like what can we do um that we could help and support our our local scene and that's kind of like where I started to look at it more as a as a career choice or as something I wanted to do um to hopefully generate money at some point but uh so then just you know so then starting that that whole you know that whole lane of trying to create a, a company and and do things professionally and then coming across artists that i had you know grown up listening to or that you know in that time frame because it's hard to think about it, a time frame where it's like you know some of the artists were even close in our age yeah but you know hearing hearing them maybe a, a few months before you meet them or a year before you meet them, it's just a big deal where, you know, it's mm. like, it's like you idolize these people mm. where now it's kind of like hard. It's, you know, cause the internet is so fast, everything's so fast yeah. that it's hard to kind of comprehend that. But, but, you know, it's like you grew up on these people, but these people end up being kind of close to your age. It's, it's weird, but, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was dope, man. It, it was, it was hella dope to, to jump in the trenches basically is what we did right out of high school with my crew, crazy hood. And, and, and it was just a special time, a special time in hip hop. Mm. Um, they call it the golden era, mm. you know, so so it was, it was just fun. It was a lot of fun. Everything was new. That's sick. Yeah. Well, I wanted to jump straight into this one. Was, everyone has obviously seen the podcast with Ye. What was that experience like for you personally? Was that like a big like, wow, like this is full on? Because like, that, that's a big, big episode <laughs> and a long episode. Thanks. Yeah, man, it was huge. It was definitely huge for us. Um, it was dope. I, I, I've always, I mean, I've, I've had an opportunity to work with yay because i, I was a, the rep for def jam mm. in, yeah. in miami and so you know def jam rockefeller all that so i i had an opportunity to kind of work with him and, and he won't remember that but i remember that you know mm. saying working yeah. with him at that time so i've always been a fan of of him as an artist and, and his music and stuff and I, and I do believe that you know musically he's a genius for sure and, and in a lot of other ways i'm sure that you know there's a lot of genius in him so i was always a fan of his when we started the podcast, wanting him to be on the show, mm. you know, I was like, man, I would love to pick his brain. And then all these controversies. And, and at that point, 
when all the controversial stuff happened, me personally, I'm not the type of person that wants someone on the show to exploit controversy. Yeah. Mm. I'm more on the side of like, I just love the culture and want to really talk music. And of course, organically, whatever happens, happens. Mm. But that's my goal. So when, we, when it finally went down, I just think it was a perfect timing. It was a perfect opportunity for us. He didn't give us any time to get prepared he he literally hit nori the night before oh shit he's like yo i'm gonna fly in tomorrow morning <laughs> and we we i don't think we've ever done a drink champs in the morning we 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 were set up at 8 a.m in the morning <laughs> and he's a drinking and stuff yeah, as holy well shit, like... i didn't realize it was that early <laughs> and we yeah 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 it was crazy and it was sunday which was crazy because it was like we were like it's our own sunday service That's yeah. so funny. and um yeah man we were drinking already you know well, well into our drinks at, you know, nine something. So it was, yeah. it was wild, man. It was really dope. Do you find it eases up the podcast, like having like some drinks there and, and smoking and stuff? Do you find it, it makes it more of like a better environment for the podcast, like the guest? Yeah. I mean, look, it, it, there's a double, double edged sword when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. You know, like mm. there's, you know, I, at, at some point, um, you know, I don't want anybody to think that the liquor and the, and, and the smoking and all that is kind of like, uh, trickery to, to yeah. get people to say things they wouldn't normally say what we tried to create with drink champs was to recreate the environment that we were already doing uh backstage or in the studio yeah with our peers you know and that was drinking smoking um and just shooting the shit yeah mm. so that's what we tried to create we didn't try to purposely make drink champs so oh, we're going to make people drink and then they're going to spill the beans. Like, yeah. That wasn't the point of drink champs. And, you know, if people come and don't drink, that's fine too. You know, me and Nori will drink plenty for everybody. <laughs> so, so, you know, it, it, it helps for sure. And I think some people, some guests might even use it purposely to open up. Yeah. And then maybe some, and, you know, and sometimes it hasn't happened much, but then sometimes later on they'll regret like, oh man, you know, I kind of blame the, the liquor. Yeah. Yeah, but okay. you know everybody's an adult everybody knows what they're doing you know mm. no one's a child so yeah. it's like it is what it is yeah i did notice yeah looking over at the cameras a fair bit sort of uh, sort of towards the end of the interview kind of when he was saying a few different things he wasn't sure if he was supposed to how do you guys go with stuff like that do you do you have things where like people might drop something pretty large and it's a bit like sort of a, ooh, have to make sure we, we don't create any sort of problems with that sort of stuff like that we always um we always lean on the side of trying to protect the guest. Yeah, mm, of course. You know, protect, you know, again, and speaking for myself, only just because Nori's not here to speak for himself, you know? Yeah. We're, you know, I'm not trying to to exploit anybody's controversies, anybody's, you know, like anything negative in their life. Um, but at the same token, I want people to be, you know, honest and organic. And if they want something out, if that's what they want, if they want to use a platform in that way, that's up to them. Yeah. Um, same way that you guys told me if there's anything that i want to edit out at the end we we offer the same okay. luxury to to every guest that comes on the show like it, the only thing that we ask is, is like you do it pretty you know pretty quickly after the show because there's a the a production process an editing process yeah, and a delivery process to our corporate and distribution partners so yeah. if they do that we have no problem and then we have like things that we won't ever you know or we try to always catch and not let it air which is we don't like people's families being talked about. Yeah. You know, um, we don't like uh, anything that's going to get anybody into any legal problems. 
again, because we do understand that some people are drinking and they might slip at the tongue yeah. and, and not even remember. So we always try to catch anything that, that might hurt them in that way. Yeah, I, I could definitely imagine there'd be a fair bit of red tape, obviously, because, I mean, well, I mean, you're dealing with people who are of a pretty high-level status sort of across the world. Very high-level status. <laughs> yeah, so I can understand. Um, with When you guys started the Drink Champs, what was it like when it come to getting guests and stuff on? Did you find that because you guys were already sort of had a notoriety, it was easy, or was the process still a sort of a hard start-up? Um, it was kind of 50-50. We both... Nori and myself, and, and I would say more so Nori had, he, you know, he had a Rolodex of, of people in the industry mm. that he was friends with that he can call on. Um, and then I had my own Rolodex as well, just working behind the scenes a lot that I had been working. So we both were able to bring artists to the table fairly easy. Yeah. But that that in itself didn't necessarily always pan out or last long because the notoriety of the show where people podcasting at that time in hip-hop was kind of new you know shout out to some of the the pioneers like combat jack and juan Epp and and joe budden and some of these other guys that were doing it but when we came on it was still relatively new in the mainstream mm. um for hip-hop to to have like podcasting and so a lot of the artists weren't really up to it you know up on it and so they didn't really know what to make of it and then you know it's called drink champs and the people are drinking even the artists that do all that stuff were like i don't know man it, it <laughs> seems a little crazy i don't know if i want to go on there so a lot of people seemed nervous mm. uh or just they just weren't interested in coming on drink champs it didn't seem like it was a platform they wanted to do at the time even people that we were cool with yeah oh real they were just like uh you know yeah so 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 like at at in one way it was easy to get certain people that were kind of like i don't want to call them low-lying fruits because they were still big artists but mm. people that we kind of communicated with a little bit on the regular yeah but then as as the show progressed and it got bigger and bigger, which it got pretty big from day one. Mm. Um, but as the audience grew, it seemed like it kind of made people a little bit weary of coming on because they weren't sure if they were ready for drinking. And then also it's like a little intimidating to some people. You know, you got Nori, you know, he you know, we're trying to in the beginning. The, in, the first year was really like we were on some like. We're going to drink champ it out for real. Like we're going to drink the craziest shit on the show. We're going to mix all this liquor. And then we have, we have our crews there. Uh, we film in Miami. I got my crew. Nori had a lot of his boys out here and it's just like, it's crew deep. So you come into this environment and, and, it, and it, it may be from the outside looking in, it looks a little hostile and intimidating Yeah, where you're kind of like, feel like you might be bullied into drinking, but that's never the case when you finally come on the show. It's, it's really a friendly environment. That's amazing. Well, Touching on like how big Drink Champs is, was there ever a moment where you're like, okay, what I say has influence. I need to kind of watch what I say. Reason I ask is the whole like Joe Rogan thing going on now. Like, did you guys ever have a moment where you realized how big your audience is? I've always known that 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 that's the case. You know, with with the show, um, and I'm you know I'm I'm very like I, I just I hate the whole cancel culture thing. Yeah. You know, of course I understand. Uh, wrong is wrong, you know, right is right. And then, you know, some things probably deserve to get canceled, but it's just such, such a, such a nasty mob mentality type of like mm. world we live in now yeah. that you just never know who's right. You just go with the mob, you know what I'm saying? And cancel people away. And so that's always made me nervous for the show because of the, you know, what it is and the drinking and all that. And there's been some times where 
we've gotten backlash for certain some things that have happened. Um, and then we had the, and now that you know after Kanye and Alicia Keys and 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 you know and, and the shows, it just keeps growing. You start to realize, yeah, we gotta. Not that we have to watch our words, we just have to be responsible mm. yeah. with 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 ourselves. And and at the end of the day, you know, we just have to be ready to to own our words. And and you know, if we if we make a mistake, we got to own up to it. Yeah. Um. That's the only thing that we can do. Hundred percent. Definitely. No, I like that. I can imagine it would be uh, be a bit difficult at times with um with all of that stuff going on. So we, sorry. No. It's also, that you're trying to be. So, sorry, but it's also that we're, you know, really we're trying to be a, a fun, entertaining show. Mm, yeah. With, you know, with, you know, like it's just, you know, with a, with a certain taste of comedy there that, that maybe not everybody finds funny. And so, you know, we come from in the sense we wanted to be the hip hop Howard Stern. Yeah. <laughs> so there's going to be things that, that rub people the wrong way. And we understand. Yeah, of that. course. Yeah. With having such like a high caliber guest like you guys have on, do you guys ever freak out that, okay, what happens if we can't keep up? The high caliber, like like when you have Kanye on, like what's what's next? You know, like how do you keep like that high caliber of guests on to keep everyone listening? Is it hard? Yeah, I'm I I'm not worried about that. I mean, I'm not trying to keep a certain caliber of guests. Yeah. Uh, and again, speaking for myself, because I don't know, Nori might have a different outlook on this, but for me, it's always been about having real good uh, conversations revolving around hip hop culture. Mm. Um. It doesn't have to be just about hip hop, yeah. Because I just feel that just us being in the room talking is already hip hop. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so you know, I just want to have good conversations, have fun conversations, um, and entertain people. And so, and a lot, and a lot of it revolves around people that we grew up on, and then that you know from our era that maybe haven't been as um, active lately. So. To me, that's what's most important to me. Bringing on some of these artists that haven't been as active on social media, you know, aren't aren't maybe putting out as much music anymore, yeah. but meant a lot to the culture and still mean a lot to the culture mm. and maybe help reintroduce them to the audience or remind people about them. Yeah. And so to me, when we have a Kanye, that's to benefit the next guy that's not Kanye. Mm. Yeah. That's you know, a sick, when we that's have Alicia awesome. Keys, it's to benefit you know, the next person. And so if we bring in a whole slew of fans because of Kanye and then we have Grandmaster Kaz on, they're basically teaching us the beginnings of hip hop, the history. Then to me, we that's that's where really where, where the where the value lies. Definitely. Wow. That's, that's pretty sick. good. And it's good, too, because it's very authentic. Like you're doing it to help the next people. It's not like you said, there's no agenda or you're not trying to, you know, gain sort of some personal advantage out of it. Which is um, right. Which is good. Um, before you mentioned that you had um, obviously finished high school and you kind of jumped straight into the hip hop industry. And like you said, obviously there was people you were listening to, and now you kind of with them and involved, and you're working and all the people. Do you still have kind of like pinch me moments when it comes to meeting some of these people and hang out with them, or is it like this was real? You were in this life very early on, so it's like it is a pretty big norm now. It's just an everyday thing. Um, I mean, overall, I don't have necessarily pinch me moments with specific people, although with Ice Cube, I did because I've yeah. just I was always a huge NWA Ice Cube when he went solo fan. And, and yeah. you know, he's I idolized him growing up. Um, so when I met him, 
he that was one of the guys that I was like, oh damn, like I got Ice Cube in front of me right now. You know, that kind of I was nervous. That was the only time I really, really was nervous. But overall, I feel the pinch me moment about everything that that I'm doing mm. in general because all we ever wanted to do as a crew, as a DJ, as a fan of the culture, was give back to my city um, and do something that. I mean, at the time, it was just to impact the city. Yeah. Mm. To do something for the hip hop scene in, in in Miami, and so to be able to do something that impacts hip hop, the culture, and you know globally, that's the pinch me moment for me. I'm like, damn, you know, we we've come a long way. Mm, definitely. Well, you've hit us in Australia. Yeah, that's definitely. For sure. That's a far way away. <laughs> <laughs> so with have like we've heard that uh, like high level artists are high maintenance and like not easy to deal with. Is that true? And like, was there ever a moment for you where you were like, okay, wow, this is a lot? Nah, there hasn't been, at least not on Drink Champs. I just think that they know when they come, Yeah, they just can't really pull that. You know, they're, they're dealing with another fellow artist, Nori. Yeah. You know, they like I told you, the environment, it just yeah. doesn't, you can't really bring that to, to our environment. There's it respect. Just, it won't fly well. Yeah, there's a level of respect. Um yeah definitely it's a level of respect i would say that like i haven't i that i can remember i'm trying to think because i'm sure it's happened at least once we just we just finished what i think we just released episode 300 mm. so it's been a lot of episodes a lot of drinking yeah. a lot of memory <laughs> loss um but yeah no i don't i'm sure it's happened once or twice but man yeah i can't there's nothing that stands out that anybody's really pulled yeah. that, that hollywood stuff on us do you do you think that's because like you guys are seen as a bit of an equal to all of those people i think so i think that most of the people that come uh they just realize that we're of the culture mm. for the culture and it's mm. like to to act like that with us you know they drop the ego it just yeah. it just won't yeah it just won't it won't go well for you at that point like yeah. you just you're gonna look terrible yeah yeah no, I, I must like be that. different industries that like yeah, stand up. Definitely. Some of the guests we've had on who have dealt with some sort of high level rappers have just said that like, you know, it can be quite a hassle and I guess you're sort of beckoning to every need that they have, which can be quite sort of draining. So it's just interesting to hear different perspectives. Mm. Um, when you yeah. started in the industry, how did you network? Like how did you get out in the music industry when you first came out of high school? Man, I hit the pavement. Um, and the at first I was just like, I didn't know how we were I was gonna meet anybody or how my crew, because there was no hip hop industry in Miami at the time. Mm. Um, we only had a handful of artists that had made out the city, like Two Life Crew, and um, you know we had we had a couple other artists that had come out, but Two Life Crew was the biggest at the time. And outside of that, there just wasn't an industry here, that, and not and not specific to like the style of hip hop that I was you know really pushing. And so I really didn't know how I was going to network. But luckily yeah. for, for us, these conventions started coming to Miami, mm. uh, these hip-hop conventions. And the one that came that, that I took advantage of was uh, called How Can I Be Down? And it was uh, produced by Def Jam. Yeah. And so that convention was a game changer for me because I basically took my crew. We were very organized, a bunch of, you know, young men we all kind of like very military in the way that i tried to like present our crew um and so you know we were disciplined i had all my mixtapes we all wore the same shirts we went out there as an army you know and and 
and we demanded respect from people <laughs> and you're like you're in our city and so it, it was it was interesting but we we made an impact on people and it was it was a time in hip-hop also where a lot of the artists that were coming into miami were just happy to be in miami you know they were also young men you know and women and so they were just like and they were happy to be recognized outside of whatever city which most of them were from new york or la or atlanta at the time mm -hmm. um and so to meet a dj from miami to them was like that they're networking yeah but i'm like damn i'm meeting biggie i'm meeting big pun <laughs> puffy heavy d uh the dog pound like you know i'm seeing ice cube walk across the street like it was phenomenal and, and besides that i'm to, uh, i'm also identifying the executives of the labels mm. the other djs the producers like i was very you know i was on top of knowing who was behind the scenes because i knew that those were the people really pulling the levers yeah and i was networking with them and making friends with them and they all had artists that hadn't come out yet so they wanted to network with a dj in another city and so boom and so we made these mutually beneficial relationships right place right time like yeah definitely literally yes, right sir. place right time that's so good and so that was sort of like that right there was a kickstart of your career like that's when it really sort of was it like that point it went straight up from there or was it like more events and then it slowly how did that perspire i mean that was just it was pivotal because i was able to uh to just connect with people that i would have never connected with mm. and that gave me access to the industry where I wouldn't have had that access. And I became people's go-to person in Miami in a lot of ways. And so that, that gave, I became valuable to people. Yeah. My yeah. crew became valuable. We, we were a street team. We started a marketing and promotion arm where we started working for record labels. You know, I'm DJing uh, pirate radio, underground radio at the time. I'm doing college radio. I'm doing clubs. I'm a mixtape DJ. A lot at that time frame in, in, in hip hop, there wasn't a lot of outlets to break records and commercial radio hip hop wasn't uh, in every city. It was like the only places that they had commercial radio stations playing hip hop was mainly in New York, LA mm, yeah. and Atlanta. Miami wasn't really playing it yet on the radio. So they were using mixtape DJs like myself, club DJs. So it just, it, it, it really was a game changer. That's but sick. what I had to do is I had to step up to the plate mm. and make sure that, that I showed my value and and maintained it that consistency where people could rely on me and then I could call on them when I needed them. Yeah, mm, that's right. Um, and that was an important thing too. And that's where I feel like myself and my crew with the whole thing where we kind of like demanded respect from people in, in a sense, you know, mutual respect, of course. Yeah, definitely. Was if I do for you, you know, one hand washes the other, there's a point where I'm going to need something from you. And and, and so that's kind of where you, you had to like put your foot down and be like, let's, let's do Yeah, I didn't want... Anybody trying to take advantage of me, my mm. crew, or my city. You know yeah. Saying? Yeah, definitely. Did you ever have any sort of don't meet your hero moments with that in the industry? Like over the over the years? Um, there there's there's a few moments, yeah. There's a few moments where, where some things went down. Yeah. I can imagine obviously meeting some people like that. I've had similar stuff recently with some guests and stuff like that, but it's interesting. Obviously, you know, like everyone says, yeah, don't meet your heroes. And then you get all excited and you get to meet these people and you talk to them and, and then you just kind of like, oh, that was, uh, that was Yeah, great. that's happened quite a bit, man. <laughs> <laughs> when With Dream Champs, was there ever, ever moments where you're just like, like we might call it quits? Or do you guys just keep pushing through regardless? I mean, our livers probably want to call it quits. We definitely had to, 
you know, we, we, we definitely do a lot of balancing of our lifestyles. Um, yeah. Shit. I, before, when we started Drink Champs, I had zero children. Now I have two. <laughs> so my life has drastically changed since we started Drink Champs. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it's, it's a matter. We just realized, you know, we've, we had to find the balance in everything we do, whether it's, you know, health wise in terms of the drinking and balance that out. Yeah. Whether it's uh, me and Nori's relationship. You know, because it can get strenuous and, and, mm. and, you know, there, you know, you bring in more corporate sponsors, you, you know, there's, there's the finances change, you know, that starts to put a stress on things when you started something and it wasn't to the, it wasn't even to make money. Yeah. Like really and truly when we started this, I, I was like, if we could make a couple thousand dollars a month, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to do it just to do it for, for fun. Mm. I never saw drink champs as, oh yeah, this is going to be a game changer for my career. And this is what's going to make me all this money. I was doing my things already. And I was like, I just want to do this for fun with Nori. Hopefully it pays itself. Yeah. It breaks even. Mm. And, um, and then in the beginning it blew up and for six months we didn't make a dime mm. and it was huge. It was the biggest hip hop podcast and we weren't making a dime at it yet because CBS radio who, who at the time was our distributor, they didn't know how to sell us no. to, to the advertisers. Cause mm. it was just like this new crazy show. And it was, it had, you know, it was getting all this traction. So it's like they had to charge a certain rate for ads, but, but then it didn't have a history plus all the craziness that, you know, they have to like explain it was too new. So it was, it was wild. So for six months, we didn't get a dime. Mm. So after six months, it took off though. That was like your breakthrough moment. You're like, okay, six months in, boom, we are huge. It just took off. Yeah. Once the, once, I mean, we were already huge from day one with, with the action in terms of like listenership. Yeah. Yeah. But in terms of it providing for us any kind of revenue, it took six months for advertisers to start to see. come on board and for us to start to see revenue you yeah. know, generated from it. Yeah. Did you reach out to those advertisers or did they come to you? No, that was through CBS radio at the time. They they had their whole advertising. So they brought them in for you. Uh, so listen, yeah, trying to bring in the advertiser. They just couldn't do it at first. Mm. And so imagine we self-produced the show. We own the show. So we had to really believe in the show for six months to continue to, because then it's taking over our lives all yeah. of a sudden mm. from one day to the next. And, you know, of course we love, you know, the revenue at the time is the fact that it's blowing up, you know, That's with right. audience wise. So we're like, all right, well let's invest in this and let's put our eggs in this basket now, mm. even though we don't know if we're going to get paid off of it. I mean, we knew the residual at some point, whether advertising money came or some other opportunities came, we knew something was going to break, Yeah, but we didn't know what. So we had to re reinvest our own money for six months until, until the money started coming in. It's funny to see that like the things that you least expect to actually take off are the ones that set you up. 100%. Like it's crazy. Mm. And they take 100%, off. hundred percent, man. Jeez, I like it. That's pretty good. So what sort of advice could you give someone starting a podcast? Because there's so many podcasts out there, heaps of people are starting them, all, all sorts of different industries about anything and everything. What's some sort of fundamental things you could give people for the initial startup? Even us. What's some advice yeah. you could give us for, for continuing our podcast? I think the main advice I would give anybody is make sure you're consistent. Yeah. Um. Pick, pick the lane that you that you want to do, which I would always tell people my my opinion in this is when you're picking your lane, find your own voice. Don't don't try to be somebody else or be another show. Yeah. 
be be yourself and find your own voice because mm-hmm. i think if you could if you could be natural then then it's going to be easier to do that show and it's going to be easier to be consistent yeah but if you're being if you're trying to be something you're not i would imagine that would be more difficult i don't know i've never done that so i don't yeah. know <laughs> but consistency to me throughout my whole career and this is regardless of what money i've made or haven't made but it always panned out for me it always worked out if i maintained consistency yeah and that's the one thing that people have always told me why they messed with me is because i was consistent with things yeah consistency and persistence are the main attributes that i always adhere to and i feel that for podcasting those are the things that people should think about because a lot of times people start something and then they they end it too first of all they end it before they should Mm -hmm. and they don't know that right around the corner is you know a breakthrough moment or they do something and they're inconsistent meaning they i'll do it this month i'll do it a couple times and then next month i'll do it so then you're never in in terms of content creation you're never going to find an audience if they don't know when to expect you yeah okay Mm -hmm. that makes sense you should find that you should find a rhythm, a consistency and your voice. And then it's not to say that what you the lane that you pick content wise is going to work, but you have to give it the opportunity to work and then evaluate it at a point and say, OK, well, I was consistent for three, six months, whatever. And you evaluate what's going on here. Mm. Did I get did I get more you know listeners? Yeah. Did I did I. Did I get a certain amount of revenue? Like there's different things mean, you know, our success to different people. And then you evaluate and then you pivot if you need to pivot and you continue, you know, you, you just pivot, you just pivot to another direction, but, and then you maintain that consistency. Okay. Definitely. I like it. So what's the future of drink champs? What have you guys got coming up? Well, we just signed on two more years uh, with our television partners, which is, uh, you know, Puffy at revolt TV um here in the states so people could watch us uh i don't know if it's available I, I know that they've done deals with other countries yeah but um definitely here in the states it's on television and then with them also they publish it the full uh video on youtube and i'm pretty sure that that's available yeah that's what we watch in australia yeah yeah straight up on YouTube. youtube yeah so that we just sign on two more years with them so that's for sure that's two exciting. years more of drink champs Beautiful. Yeah, and then here we our audio is distributed through iHeartRadio, mm. um, and we just we just renewed with them, yeah. and that's through Charlemagne the God from the Breakfast Club. He has a podcast network called Black Effect, so we're we we did we're doing our audio with them, and then outside of that, Nori has other things that he's working on. I got a, I have a documentary series that I've been doing called Coming Home, where I travel to different countries, yeah, and I explore the country through hip hop. That's it. So it's like that's exciting. It's like Anthony Bourdain hip hop, you know, rest yeah, of the Anthony Bourdain. But um, yeah, I use hip hop as kind of like the 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 tour guide in any country I go mm. through through the hip hop artists, through the hip hop scene, through you know through whatever. And and I, me and my crew, we go out. We went to uh, first I went to Cuba to follow my family roots. I never you know I never been to Cuba, and with all the political craziness, you know, mm. I never thought I would go to Cuba. Yeah. And I went there in 2012 and that launched the series, did a documentary out of that first trip. Um, and then I went after, after that, I went to Peru, we went to Haiti, we went to uh, Vietnam, 
Wow. My dad fought in the Vietnam War, so so I had the opportunity to go to the battlefield where my dad fought as a Marine in Vietnam, That's insane. which was insane for me. Um, went to uh, Colombia and we we went to South Africa, and Colombia and South Africa are unreleased. Yeah. Um, and then we and I just partnered up with LL Cool J and Rock the Bells, which is his production company, and they're partners with me now on these on these films. Jeez, that's huge. That's super exciting. Let's see. Where, where are they? Where are they? Where can we watch them? They originally aired. The first four aired on Revolt TV. Yeah. Um, now we re-released the first four, and they're on RockTheBells.com. And then we're the two unreleased ones. We're still negotiating new deals for them, and yeah. then we're negotiating for new productions, completely new, new films that we're gonna film. So Netflix soon is that coming? Yeah. We'll see, man. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, that'll be huge. All in the works. I'm excited, definitely. Um, one thing that I did want to touch on as well, how do you go when it comes to your close circle? Mm. Like being at such a status, obviously, you know, biggest music podcast in the world, 5 million listeners a month. Obviously, you've got an extensive career with a lot of people. How do you go about having your close circle around and then people who are trying to come into that? I mean, I have the same group of friends that I've had since high school. That's amazing. Um, you know, I pro I wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for my my circle of friends. And you know, some of them are involved in the industry and some of them are not, but they all are a part of the brand. They're all a part of the DNA of the company, whether they do it actively or not. You know, yeah. and that's the way we treat it. And and we're we're very close. We're like brothers. Mm. So being that we and it's like 10 of us so you can't you know i don't we don't i don't need any new friends yeah yeah i don't have time for any new friends you know what i'm saying so so you know that right there has kept me anchored yeah um because like i said not not everybody uh stayed within the industry you know trying to create a career in the industry at, at one point early on we all realized that that youthful idea that oh we're gonna put out an album we're going to go sell platinum and we're all going to be popping bottles yeah. and driving Bentleys. <laughs> we realized quickly, not that we would have probably wanted to buy Bentleys anyways, but yeah. you know, for everybody that's thinking like that, we, us as young men in the beginning thinking that, you know, we, Oh, we, cause we, our first thing that one of the first things we did is make an album, an independent album mm. of a group in our crew. And you're like, wow, we made it, you know, now, now it's, it's going to sell. <laughs> that's it boys. It we done. The way it's going to sell. <laughs> right. And so, what was different about us versus other crews that were did the same thing is that we 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 took that you know that the fact that we finished something was the prize for us if we felt success in finishing something but we learned also okay this is reality now guys yeah, yeah. this is not going to sustain everybody here so we either fall apart as a crew of friends um and the dream kind of dies like that or a few of us carry the torch uh, because it could sustain a few of us. Yeah. And the rest of us go, you know, and do other things in life. But we all come back to, to, to this. Yeah. Like we're all a part of the brand. And my job is to maintain, keep everybody involved in the brand however I can and any opportunities that I can find for, for people in the crew. But for me, it's appreciating the fact that those people didn't leave my life because mm. they're like, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not in that anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm fucking, I got a boy that started restaurants. I got a, another guy who's a cook, another friend 
that doesn't do shit. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it, we got we got all levels of, of success and non-success in the crew, but what what keeps us together is we're like a family. Just, yeah. You know, you got functional and dysfunctional people. We keep them all together, and that's what anchors me and keeps me good, man. Yeah, definitely. No, that's a good insight. I think that's really important when that's you have hard. such a large group and obviously hit hit such a level of success. Um. So lastly, one of the things that I wanted to ask was um, what's something you'd like to leave the listeners with? Man, uh, I don't know. That's that's a that's a great question, man. Shit, make me tap into my Buddha <laughs> mind. <laughs> I don't have anything really to offer. I would just say, man, just do shit uh, because of, of a passion that you have. Uh going after money at least from my point of view has never really worked um in fact you'll find less money when you chase money you know go with your gut on things you know learn learn to 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 use your gut your gut feeling try to find good people and keep those good people around you because it's yeah. hard to find good people and if you can do that and and and, and surround yourself with good people and and create Another thing is create mastermind groups, meaning people that are either like-minded or shit, no more than you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, just always continue to try to grow and learn. Don't ever think you know everything because mm. we don't know shit. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So, so keep growing, keep learning, and, 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 and do things from the gut. I like that because Definitely. a lot of people... We've we asked this question at the end of every podcast, the same mm. question, and it stumps everyone for about five seconds, but you answered it perfect everyone should stop chasing the money and chase the passion do what you love and the money will come if you look at the money and trying to follow the money you will never make any money that's like the big thing and that's and i'm not trying to sound like like a hippie that doesn't want money yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah we all need and want money 100%. it's just for me chasing it doesn't work yeah you know yeah you need to be kind of authentic when it comes to that and i think a lot of people get stuck mm. and sort of caught up in the uh, sort of higher society when it comes to those things because they've got to act a certain way or be a certain mm. somebody to be around these right. people and it, and it can be quite hard sort of you know for people to not sort of not be authentic if that makes sense mm. yeah it does man well, i really Definitely. appreciate your time thank you so yeah, much man. for for taking the time to come on no thank you guys i appreciate Definitely. it thank oh, you very much i gotta go visit beautiful australia man me and my girl we're always saying we got to go visit Australia. Man, oh. you should come to an episode down here. It'd be great. Yeah, if you come here, no, if, let us for know. For sure, a hundred percent. We'll we'll do it. Take me to a to a brewery or something. Oh, mate. <laughs> yeah, we can, done. We can make that happen. Done. You got my word. <laughs> Thank you so much. Beautiful. Thanks, mate. I, I really appreciate it. your time. All right, fellas. Take it easy. See you later. See you, mate. Thank Peace. you.